Uh, please turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 3. Luke chapter 3, we're going to be in, in the first verse. If you want to follow along in the Pew Bibles, it's page 726. Uh, and after I read, I'll pray. And I did want to just let you know that I want you to be in special prayer for Miss uh, Genevieve Morton. Uh, she is uh, still in the hospital. Uh, she went in the hospital this past week and uh, has kind of taken a turn for the worst. Uh, so just be praying for her uh, and her family. As well, uh, Miss Molly Phillips uh, fell uh, earlier this week, and uh, she's now in Health South uh, recovering. Uh, so just pray for uh, her and for Max. Well, uh, please look in Luke chapter 3, starting in the first verse, reading through verse 20. In the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, when Pontius Pilate was governor of Judea, Herod, tetrarch of Galilee, his brother Philip, Tetrarch of Eteria and Trachonitis, and Lysanias, a Tetrarch of Abilene, during the high priesthood of Annas and Caiaphas. The word of God came to John, son of Zechariah, in the desert. He went into all the country around the Jordan, preaching a baptism for the forgiveness of sins, baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. As it is written in the book of the words of Isaiah the prophet, a voice of one calling in the desert, Prepare the way for the Lord. Make straight paths for him. Every valley shall be filled in, every mountain and hill made low. The crooked road shall become straight and the rough ways smooth. And all mankind will see God's salvation. John said to the crowds coming out to be baptized him by him, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the coming wrath? Produce fruit in keeping with repentance. And do not begin to say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our father. For I tell you, that out of these stones God can raise up children for Abraham. The axe is already at the root of the trees, and every tree that does not produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. What should we do then, the crowd asked. John answered, The man with two tunics should share with him who has none, and the one who has food should do the same. Tax collectors also came to be baptized. Teacher, they asked, what should we do? Don't collect any more than you are required to, he told them. Then some soldiers asked him, and what should we do? He replied, don't extort money and don't accuse falsely. Be content with your pay. The people were waiting expectantly and were all wondering in their hearts if John might possibly be the Christ. John answered them all, I baptize you with the water, but one more powerful than I will come, the throngs of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand to clear his threshing floor and to gather the wheat into his barn, and he will burn up the chafe with unquenchable fire. And with many other words, John exhorted the people and preached the good news to them. But when John rebuked Herod, the Tetrarch, because of Herodias, his brother's wife, all the other evil things he had done, Herod added this to them all. He locked John up in prison. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, uh, we bow uh, before you now, uh, for you reign. The nations tremble. You are great in Zion. You are exalted over all the nations. Great and awesome is your name. You are mighty and love justice. We exalt you this day, for you are holy. You have spoken to us through your holy prophets. They called out to you and you answer them. So, Father, we ask now that you answer our prayers as well. 
Holy Father, you tell us to pray for your leaders, our leaders, so we do so now. We pray specifically for our governor. We pray that you give her wisdom as she leads our state. Help her support policies that will bless your people. We ask you to protect her marriage and family by your grace. Father, we also pray for other churches. This morning, we specifically pray for Randy Hatcher at First Baptist Church in Lancaster. God, we pray that you fill him with your spirit this morning as he preaches your word. We pray that you protect his marriage and family. We pray that the people under his care will be responsive to your word. We pray that that congregation will be marked by unity and holiness. Father, we also pray for the gospel to bear fruit in Mali. We pray that you bless the believers in that land. Help believers stand strong against the rise of the radical Islamists. Let them value and hold fast to your word. We pray that you bring stability back to that country by your grace. Make the gospel strong in that land. Father, we ask now for our own hearts. Prepare our hearts to hear your word. God, we also think specifically for Miss Genevieve, God, we ask you to be with her, Lord. And we ask you that you just meet her by your presence, God. We pray for Molly. We pray for a, a fast recovery, Lord. We pray that the therapy will uh, work its course and be effective. Give Max strength as he, as he cares for her. God, give us eyes to hear this morning. Eyes to see and ears to hear, Lord. Let us not run from our sin, but let us run to you for forgiveness and grace. Please prepare us to respond, to obey you. By your spirit we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, uh, if you hadn't noticed, weddings are big business in America. Um, On the average, American couples spend $25,000 on weddings. The wedding industry is is no short uh, of advice. It is a booming industry. Uh, You can turn on the TV and watch shows like Say Yes to the Dress, my daughter's personal favorite. Bridezilla's My Fair Wedding, A Wedding Story, Amazing Wedding Cakes, or Wedded to Perfection. There is no short of advice on weddings. You look to magazines, Premier Bride, Wedding Styles, Brides, Town and Country Weddings, or Not Magazine. There's just constantly this barrage of telling you how to prepare for that day, the day of your wedding. Now, let's just be honest. Weddings are important. Weddings should be a big deal. It's to uh, bring two people together, no longer two, but one, uniting two people in Christ. You know, I think that, I I would hope that more emphasis would be on the marriage rather than the wedding, uh, but we can still rejoice in the wedding day. Uh, We have several uh, members who are approaching their their marriage, but we we should also know that we all are preparing ourselves for a marriage, for the marriage supper feast of the Lamb, preparing ourselves to meet the bridegroom, the Lord Jesus. Listen to what Matthew 25 says, verses 1 through 13. At that time, this is Jesus speaking, the kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish and five were wise. The foolish ones took their lamps but did not take any oil with them. The wise, however, took oil in their jars along with their lamps. The bridegroom was a long time in coming, and they all became drowsy and fell asleep. At midnight, a cry rang out, Here's the bridegroom! Come out to meet him! Then all the virgins woke up and trimmed their lamps. The foolish ones said to the wise, 
Give us some of your oil. Our lamps are going out. No, they replied. There may not be enough for both of us and you. Instead, go to those who sell oil and buy some for yourself. But while they were on their way to buy the oil, the bridegroom arrived. The virgins who were ready or who were prepared went in with him to, be, to the wedding banquet, and the door was shut. Later, the others also came. Sir, sir, they said, open the door for us. But he replied, I tell you the truth, I don't know you. Therefore, keep watch because you do not know the day or the hour. We must prepare ourselves for that day, for the day of our reuniting with the Lord Jesus. And I pray this morning from the text that we'll see three ways we can help prepare ourselves for the Messiah. That's the message this morning. Uh, Prepare yourself for the Messiah. If you want to take notes, please follow along in the bulletin, back of the bulletin where the notes are provided for you. Prepare yourself for the Messiah. The first point, we do this by inwardly repenting of sin. Inwardly repenting of sin. We see right there at the beginning, uh, Luke announces John as a prophet from the Old Testament in the same way of the the Old Testament tradition. This is probably roughly around A.D. 29. We know that because John gives us a lot of context. I know some of us, as I do often, have troubles even pronouncing their names. So why would Luke write those names in the Bible? He's trying to give us a historical context. So we probably think this occurred the beginning of John's ministry around A.D. 29. Now the Word said, it says, The Word of God came to John, son of Zechariah, in the desert. Now, the word, for, the word there is not the typical word, logos, in the Greek. It's, it's used for used the word rima, which really sp- means a specific calling to John. God gave a specific word to John for the people. He had a very unique calling from God. Luke, along with Matthew and Mark, make note that John came in the desert or in the wilderness. That location is very important because when we know that the John coming in the wilderness connects it to Isaiah chapter 40. That's what we see here in the text. The, the, the passage that John quotes from Isaiah the prophet is from Isaiah chapter 40. Now, a lot of us are, are probably a little bit stronger in the New Testament than we are in the Old Testament. The book of Isaiah is 66 books. The first 39 were looked at as one section, as a way of, of judgment against the nation of Israel. Well, verse 40 to 66, the second half, it's a place of promise that there's going to be this salvation that's going to come in the Messiah. So when you start that section in verse 40, as John does here, he's connecting that whole book, and it's happening right here. Now, most people believe that that promise was the the exile from Babylon. Now, the the Jews were taken into captivity in Babylon. Most people, most scholars, or, or most Jews, rather, when they read that, they meant this is God going to come and free us from captivity. Well, what John is saying here is that that was not fully fulfilled. That promise, that complete salvation that God was going to come, starts right here. Look what he said. A voice of one calling in the desert, prepare the way for the Lord. That's where I get this title for this morning's message. Make straight paths for him. Every valley shall be filled in, every mountain and hill made low. The crooked road shall become straight, the rough ways smooth. All mankind will see God's salvation. Luke wants the readers, his audience to know God's word is active. 
It is still here. Remember, there was 300 years of silence. God's word did not speak. We've, we, we just look back at the beginning of Luke, and the, gospel, the word came alive again to Zechariah. He saw a vision, so he was deaf and mute. God's word is still active here in John. But we also see John's specific calling, the one who helps to prepare people for a complete and total salvation or a new exodus, not from a foreign nation in Babylon, but from our sin and death. So how is this new salvation going to come? How is God going to usher in a complete freedom of sin and death? What's John's message? Look at verse 3. It says, He went into all the country around the Jordan, preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. Now, John challenged people. How do you prepare yourself for the Lord's coming? By inwardly repenting of your sins. The concept of repentance is not only important for John, but that's part of the first words that Jesus said. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. Repentance, taken from the Old Testament, has the idea of of turning or to return uh, back to something. It's the idea of changing the way you think. uh, John is going to call people to change the way they live. And how do you change the way you live? You change the way you think. These people need to understand that they lived under the responsibility of God. God was going to come to bring salvation, but he was also going to come and bring judgment. And listen how this salvation that God will come, this salvation that God will bring will clear a path. Nothing, nothing will be able to stand in the way of the Lord. His salvation will explode the mountains and the hills. They will be brought low, that we may see his salvation. Isaiah chapter 57 verse 14 says this, And it shall be said, build up, build up, prepare the way, remove every obstruction from my people's way. See, God will fill every valley, straighten out every road, smooth out every rough place. Why? So that you can see salvation. And not just the Jews, but everybody. Look in verse 6. And all mankind will see God's salvation. But in order to experience that salvation, we must repent. We must turn to God, change our mind regarding our sin. Because we cannot experience salvation without repentance. Uh, My former pastor used to say this. He said the difference between a Christian and a non-Christian is this. When a non-Christian is confronted with their sins, they choose themselves and their sin over God. When a believer is challenged and confronted with their sin, they choose God against themselves and their sin. So this morning, when we think about this, I want to ask you, How do you respond when your sins are confronted? When your sins are exposed, do you you run from your sin? Run to your sin to, to hide it? Or do you hide in the shadow of the cross? We all need to confess our sin. Just this morning, I was a bad husband this week. Can I, just t- can I say that from the pulpit? I was selfish. The things that I normally do for my wife, I just didn't do. 
Uh, normally when she leaves and goes uh, out, I try to clean the dishes in the evening for her. And I was just lazy. I didn't do it. She asked me to go to the dry cleaners to pick up her dress. Didn't do it. She asked me to go get my, my son's haircut. I went. I didn't want to wait. Didn't do it. Uh, so I had to go to my wife this morning and say, sweetie, um, I was a bad husband this week. I was selfish. Uh, will you please forgive me for my selfishness? And by God's grace, she did. See, I'm not coming from a place that we don't need to forgive. We all need forgiveness. So when you're confronted with it, where do you go? One of the reasons why we have that corporate confession every week of our sin is to show us that we desperately need God's grace. We have not arrived. We all need to hear that God has forgiven us in Christ. So do you try to justify yourself? Or do you understand that you are in desperate need of grace? We know that, the, that John was coming with the Spirit of the Lord. for He did everything against the dominant culture. He did what every pastor is told not to do. Look at verse 7. Uh, John said to the crowds, coming out to be baptized by him. People are coming to be baptized. What does he say? You brood of vipers. Who warned you to flee from the coming wrath? And this is not typically how speakers are trained. Rule number one when you're speaking, do not insult your audience. They probably will not have you back. But that's exactly what John did, didn't he? You children of snakes. Well, thank you, John. I appreciate that. But people kept on coming. They kept on coming. Now, how do you think John would have, would have been received in our American culture? See, our culture doesn't like talking about sin. We only like to talk about sin when something horrible happens in the media. But we don't want to look at our own sin. That's why churches that seem to be having the most growth are those churches that tell you that everything is going to be rosy. Everything is going to be good for you. God wants to bless you, but sometimes God wants to bless you through pain. And sometimes God can't bless you unless you repent and turn to Him. Our culture is turning into um, universalist, that we all are going to be saved. That is not the message of the Scriptures. See, the message of sin and our need for repentance is never popular in our fleshly hearts. In our flesh, we want to justify ourselves. We want to minimize our need for change. And are we any different than John's audience? See, John assumes that certain people are going to attempt to justify themselves. Look at the second half of verse 8. He said, and do not begin to say to yourself, meaning do not begin to justify yourself before God. How? By saying, we have Abraham as our father. For I tell you, out of these stones, God can raise up children for Abraham. The axe is already at the root of the tree. Every tree that does not produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. See, the Jews, they took comfort in their spiritual heritage. They believed because of their privileged place in God's plan, and it is a privileged place. Jews have a special place in God's plan that they were exempt from this baptism of repentance. But John's message was a continuation of the Old Testament covenant. They came to be baptized into the promise that the Messiah was going to come and free them from sin and death. The reason why John was baptizing them was not to, to make a new promise, because people, who, who, um, people still needed to be baptized in the name of Jesus. 
It says in, in Acts 19.4, John's baptism was a baptism of repentance. He told the people to believe in the one coming after him. That is Jesus. On hearing this, they, who were baptized in John's baptism, were baptized into the name of the Lord Jesus. It was the same promise. But the reason why the baptism happened is to show the proximity of when this promise was going to be fulfilled. The time is now. The time has come. I mean, look, look, look at John's statements. The, like the coming wrath. Who told you to prepare for the flee from the coming wrath? The axe is already at the root of the trees. The time of salvation and judgment is now. So, beloved, are you prepared? Are you prepared? It's easy to think that the next day will be just like the last one because the sun rises every morning and the sun sets. But as we know from people in our congregation, uh, the next day is not always guaranteed. You don't know what phone call you're going to get from your doctor. You don't know what's going to happen. Are you prepared? See, these Jews believed that their spiritual heritage was going to spare them in the day of judgment. How do you justify yourselves? What do you put your confidence in? If, you, if it's anything other than the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ spilled on your behalf, it is not real hope. We all must individually repent. I mean, look what John says. I mean, this is a work of God. You know John came in the Spirit of God because he's calling people sinners, and they're saying, what shall I do? I mean, what a blessing for a pastor if I called out your sins and you said, thank you, now what do I do? But what typically happens when our sin is called out? Man, we start grumbling, we start moaning, right? But listen, I, I want you to call me in my sin. Why? Because the Bible says that he who hates correction, he who hates to be turned from sin, is stupid. That's what it says in the Proverbs. I don't want to be stupid. So correct me. I pray that you will not be that way. Ask for correction. But look what it says. It says that God can raise up children for Abraham from stones. He can take that, which is an inanimate object, without any life, and give it life. Does that not sound similar to us? He took our dead hearts who were opposed to God and he made them alive in the Holy Spirit so we could be called children of Abraham. Listen to Romans 4, 16 and 17. Therefore, the promise comes by faith so that it may be the grace and may be guaranteed to all Abraham's offspring, not only to those who are of the law, but also to all those who are of faith of Abraham. He is the father of us all. As it is written, I have made you a father of many nations. He is the father in the sight of God, in whom he believed. God who gives life to the dead and calls things that are not as though they were. Salvation is an act of God. So let me give you an encouragement. If you have someone in your life right now who is far from God, God can change that person because God can take stones and give them life. And then look at your own heart. Look at your own life. God took your dead heart and gave you life in Christ. Be encouraged by that. Be encouraged by that. Well, the second point, by how do we prepare for the Messiah? We outwardly produce good fruit. By outwardly producing good 
fruit. Uh, John said to the crowds, you brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the coming wrath? Then he says in verse 8, produce fruit in keeping with repentance. See, this is, this is a, a very theme that's throughout the, the New Testament. When the inward heart repents, the outward life changes, right? Too often, even parents try to do this. We want to change the behavior. God says change the heart and the behavior will follow. That's what he's saying here. But before we get there, what's the motivation? What's the motivation that, that John is giving why you should repent and produce this fruit? Look at verse 9. The axe is already at the root of the trees, and every tree that does not produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. Verse 17, about Jesus. Jesus, his winnowing fork is in his hand to clear his threshing floor, to gather the wheat into his barn, but he will burn up the chafe with unquenchable fire. See, the Lord Jesus comes in salvation and judgment. The world stands already condemned because we are sinners. Every human being deserves to be cut down and thrown into the fire. Every human being. That is why we need to repent, because of our sin before God. And that's exactly why Jesus Christ came. He came not to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. See, John's motivation is very simple. Everyone who does not repent and bear good fruit will burn. So John urges his reader, as I urge you, to bear good fruit. So you may be thinking like John's hearers, what shall I do? Look at verse 10. What should we do then? The crowd asked him. John answered, the man with two tunics should share with him who has none. And the one who has food should do the same. Tax collectors also came to be baptized. Teacher, they asked, what should we do? Don't collect any more than you are required to, he told them. Then some soldiers asked him, what should we do? And he replied, don't extort money and don't accuse people falsely. Be content with your pay. There's three different groups mentioned. Crowds, tax collectors, and soldiers. Now notice all these three groups, John is telling them to look away from themselves and look to God. The first, to the crowds. He said to, John says to share your clothing and your food with those who don't have any. If you have extra clothing and food, give it to those who don't. The tax collectors came to be baptized. Teacher, what should we do? You know, notice that they even came with respect. They had respect for John. John, teacher, rabbi. Now, these tax collectors were unliked in the community. Uh, They were given responsibility from the Roman government to collect taxes from the citizens. So there was a certain level that they had to require, and what they were given the the, uh, opportunity to do is to raise it, however much they wanted to cover their own expenses. So instead of charging 10%, they were charging 30 So most of these tax collectors were very wealthy. But notice how John tells them to live. He just says, don't change your job. Don't stop being a tax collector. Just be an honorable one. Be a noble tax collector. You know, you see throughout this section that John is providing a principle. Those who are changed by God love their neighbor. They love their neighbor. Look at the soldiers. What should we do? He replied, don't extort money or don't accuse people falsely. Be content with your pay. 
The word extort there literally means to shake figs. It's where we get the idea of, of shaking somebody down, right? To shake them down is when you, you take their, their cash. Well, that's what the, the, the soldiers were doing. And John simply says, don't do that. Don't shake people down for extra money. Don't extort them by, by fraud. Stop abusing your position and be content with your pay. See, again, we see this idea of repentance has a benefit of blessing others. This is why I'm so strong on church membership. This is why I continue to tell you to, to join and to link arms with one another. Because you can't fully live out the gospel by bearing fruit if you're not involved in others' lives. It's very easy to kind of go into our own little bubble. Because if we don't know each other's needs, we won't be held accountable for them, right? It's just not true. We want to bear fruit because we want to what? Obey the Lord. Did you know that the average Christian gives less than 10% or the average person gives less today than they did during the Great Depression? The average Christian gives less than 2% of their income. See, you know, the New Testament never mentions tithing. I'm not sure if you know, many of you knew that. See, they didn't mention it because it was assumed. They assumed that everybody gave 10% and that that was the starting point. And I, I don't know, but if you look here what John is, John is saying to these folks, he's talking about their money. When you give your clothing and your food, what are you giving up? Your money. To the tax collectors, you can't collect more, so what are you giving up? Money. To the soldiers, don't extort for your own, pad your own pocket, but be content with your money. Now, is it easy to let your money go? No, it's not easy. But I know this, 2 Corinthians 9, whoever sows sparingly will reap sparingly. Whoever reaps generously will also reap generously. Each man should give what he's decided in his heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. Can I just challenge you, if you are not currently tithing, to please start. Uh, we, as a church, are not meeting our weekly budget. We're just not. So we're not even meeting our budget for one of two reasons. People are giving generously. Everyone in the church is giving generously. They're giving their 10%, but we just don't have enough people to give. That's, that's a fair thing that could be happening. Two, we have enough people with enough money, but people aren't giving. It's one of the, one of the two. I don't know where it's at. I don't look at finances, right? I don't want to look at finances. I want to protect my own heart from showing partiality to those who give more, right? I want to protect my own soul. But can I just challenge you to bear fruit in keeping with repentance? Take your resources and use them for the kingdom of God, for the glory of God. Well, last point, and we'll close. Um, We prepare for the Messiah by upwardly pointing to Jesus, by upwardly pointing to Jesus. See, John's ministry was creating some buzz. <laughs> People were coming to him and asking, is, is this the Christ? Could this be the Messiah? Listen how he answered in verse 16. I baptize you with water, but one more powerful than I will come, throngs of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. His winnowing fork is in his right hand, or in his hand, to clear his threshing floor to gather the wheat into his barn, but, the bur- but he will burn up the chafe with unquenchable fire. John did what we should all do. 
when people see good things happening in our lives, they see positive signs, what did John do? It's not me, it's him. I need to decrease that he may increase. And I love that about John because it's so easy to be, believe in our own hype, isn't it? To believe that we are all the things that our heads tell us that we are. And John just says, ah, it's not me. It is God by his grace. God is so great and so powerful, I am not even worthy to untie his sandals. So what makes Jesus so great? Three things. First, Jesus baptizes with the Holy Spirit. While John's only, baptism only pointed to the coming of the Messiah, the baptism of Jesus actually fulfills the promise. It takes our hearts of stone and makes them alive in Him. His baptism is greater because He sends the Holy Spirit into our hearts. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone and the new has come. Secondly, Jesus is the Savior. Only Jesus saves. Verse 17, it says, His winnowing fork is in His hand to clear His threshing floor and to gather wheat into His barn. The only way to be gathered into the barn of the Lord, into the house of the Lord, is by the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Have you met Him? Have you met the Savior? Thirdly, Jesus is the judge. Turn with me in your Bibles. Turn to Acts chapter 17. Acts chapter 17. I just want to point out one thing to you and we will close. Chapter 17, the big, big number, chapter 17, the small number, verse 30. It says, in the past, God overlooked such ignorance, but now he commands all people, he commands all people everywhere to repent, for he has set a day when he will judge the world with justice. The day is fixed. Everyone must repent. The day is set. But notice... He will judge how? By the man he has appointed. This really helps me when it, when it comes to repenting. Because God says that I'm going to be judged by a man. I'm not going to be judged. I'm not going to be looking at God in all his glory. I'm going to be looking eye to eye with the Lord Jesus Christ. And my life is going to be compared with his. Because it's easy, right, to... to, to, to soothe our consciences to think, well, I'm better than so-and-so. I've got more going. I've done more good deeds than them. But I'm going to be looking eye to eye with the Lord Jesus and do my deeds measure up with his. They don't. They don't. But that's exactly why God came, isn't it? Because he knew that you wouldn't measure up. So he sent the Lord Jesus to empty himself on your behalf, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. So where are you this morning? Um, are you one who is, uh, wants your sin to be exposed, to be confronted, so that you can run to the Lord Jesus? Or do you want to run from your sin? Or run to your sin, rather? Beloved, I pray that you prepare yourself by inwardly repenting of your sins, 
outwardly bearing fruit in keeping with repentance and by upwardly pointing to the Lord Jesus. Let's pray. Uh, Father, we pray this morning that you will help us repent. Uh, God, if there is sin in our lives, uh, we come in here now. We ask for you to forgive us, Lord. Um, God, help us be a church that bears fruit in keeping with repentance. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.